this is Natalie. I'm here with Issa and Maddie, and welcome to Reeling. This time we are exploring the female psychopath and female rage, and this is all thanks to Maddie's recent obsession with Gone Girl. Yeah, so in the past month, I have seen Gone Girl three times, just on a whim one night. I had heard great things for the past few years. It's been out, and it's been on my list for a while, so I decided to give it a try, and I just became completely fascinated with the character of Amy. There's so much to unpack in this movie. It's so complicated. Um, And so I thought it would be an interesting theme to explore female rage and revenge and how that's portrayed in films. And yeah, kind of going off of Maddie's point, like our conversation about Gone Girl kind of led us to two other movies, Hustlers and Kill Bill specifically, that kind of depict um, this characterization of female rage and psychopathy in a different way that we found that was really interesting to really unpack. So those are the three movies we'll be talking about in this episode. And we watched Tarantino purely for research. <laughs> research purposes only. Just for science, we want to make that clear. But to get started, I just really want to hear your thoughts on Amy's actions in this film. I guess for anyone who doesn't know, Gone Girl depicts um, husband and wife duo, <laughs> Nick and Amy. Um, Nick is played by Ben Affleck, Amy is played by Rosamund Pike. And they have like a fairy tale beginning to their relationship, which is told through Amy's journal entries but then one day um, she goes missing and there's a whole investigation it's a mystery for about half the film until we find out her side of it and what went down and how she orchestrated the whole thing um, because her husband cheated on her basically so I really want to hear your thoughts on Amy I have a lot of thoughts Um, but what do you think about everything that she did I mean, obviously, I think her actions get worse and worse as the film unravels. So I think in the beginning, I had no problem with what she was doing for movie, like for film purposes. I was like, all right, yeah, he deserves this, whatever. But then the more and more that she did, and specifically when she kills Desi, Neil Patrick Harris's character, um, which spoiler alert, that was where she fully lost me. Um, And then when she kind of uses her pregnancy against Nick in the end she just loses me by the end and um I think that's probably everyone has a different opinion of it by the end but that they're losing her sympathetic viewers more and more by the end and only the really really radical people are still on her side by the end um yeah so I didn't like anyone in the movie (laughs) by the time it finished I was just like all right so everyone in this sucks um and I didn't love the way that I felt she was villainized in the end but I know like Maddie you don't think she was necessarily villainized in the end. So I'm curious to hear on how you perceived it. Yeah, at the end, like, I don't know if I have the answers, but I just think she has all the power over Nick still because he still doesn't out her on TV as he was rehearsing. He says he feels a responsibility to this baby. Like, though her actions are horrible and she's manipulative, and I agree, when she kills Desi, that's like when it's really just going too far. Like, I thought she was a mastermind and a genius, and I really respect and admire, like, just how much planning and meticulousness went into, like, the kidnapping um, at the beginning. But when she starts... When she kills him and when we find out that she, like, accused people of rape falsely, that's a huge issue. However, I don't think she's necessarily completely villainized and it's as black and white as that. I think it is a little bit more nuanced because she does hold all the power over Nick still. So I feel like in that way, the viewer doesn't necessarily hate her. And it's like, who, who is the protagonist in the story? Because we follow like both Nick and I'd say like the film kind of frames in a traditional sense, Nick as the protagonist the whole time. But then we're also following her at a certain point and by the end it's kind of unclear so I don't think it just straight out villainizes her personally I think it goes back to also who the viewer is and like I don't have the stats on the average person who watched Gone Girl like when it was first released I feel like um the average American viewer like looks for any reason they can to like hate a woman and villainize a woman in film and I think like historically like movies have depicted women as being overly sensitive and dramatic and irrational. And like these poor men are being accused of rape when they didn't, or this man cheated, but now he's going to jail. That's so unfair. So like, I feel like 
I don't think that was what the movie was trying to do. I just think that trope is seen in so like just throughout American film history. So like if I if you think of the average American viewer, it's not necessarily like feminist college students. It's also like 50 year old like Republican men that live in Georgia, you know? So it's just kind of like by the end of the movie, I think probably the average American is like, wow, this woman is insane and this poor man's life is ruined. <laughs> and like, I don't think it was necessarily Gillian Flynn or David Fincher's intention to villainize her. I just try to think about like how the movie's going to be received by the average American um, viewer. And I loved the movie, but part of me does worry that it perpetuates the hypersensitive psychotic female and the poor victimized man that's a good point about the average viewer because the way i see it and in, in my analysis like i don't think it necessarily comes off that way but it definitely could um to to other audience members um but i also think that nick like i don't know all that she did doesn't necessarily match the crime of cheating but to me cheating is just so villainous in and of itself that like her getting that revenge was satisfying to me in a way. Again, the killing and all of that, like, disclaimer, I don't condone. <laughs> but um, putting him through all of that, I do think he kind of deserved. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction. I'm going to have a, a pretty humorous take on my on my opinion of the movie. I agree with everything that's been said. Don't get me wrong. I do agree that, like, it kind of snowballed to a point where I was like, wait a minute. What happened to the original plot of the movie? Um, and yeah, like, I, I agree. Like, I think the turning point was really when she killed Desi. I was like, wait, he was a bit weird, I do, I will say. But also, does that warrant murder? No. But anyway, back to my original point. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this TikTok sound that was kind of popular a few months ago. It was of like this video of this guy cutting slices of a pizza. And this guy was like, Oh, cool. A nice pie. A fresh pie. I would like a slice. Ooh, a fresh pie? Save me a slice. That's good. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's... Alright, that's good. Okay, okay. Alright, okay, alright. Okay, that's good. That's good. It's... It's enough slices! That was me the entire movie. I was like, fresh pie. She's getting her revenge. I love to see it, like give him a taste of his own medicine. And when she slit that man's throat, I was like, okay, I think that's enough slices. And then she goes home and stages all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, what happened? I really, okay. And then at the end, I agree. Like, I don't know how I feel about her. We've talked about this. Like, we feel like at the end, like she becomes the villain. And I sincerely do not know how I feel about it because while I do agree that, like, yeah, maybe he does deserve a little taste of his own medicine for... I mean, I don't even know if, like, the abuse is really real. Like, I don't even under... I don't know where I stand on that. Perhaps, like, the abuse, to the extent that she described it, wasn't real. But there is that factor of, like, him expecting her to be this kind of, like, caricature. Almost a caricature of, like, herself. Like, kind of like a, a characterized version of herself. Perhaps that was actually real, because I that's more believable to me. That expectation for her to be someone who she's not... That I feel like has merit because I feel like that's a thing that happens more often than not, unfortunately, in a lot of relationships with men involved. <laughs> Too many slices by the end. I was, I w my plate was overrun with slices and I don't know how to feel about that. Sorry to interject. We were having such a deep conversation before I interjected no. my thoughts on this movie. Yes, Isa, off of your point, beyond the cheating, there's just that degradation that she feels over her years of marriage to him and how he's just beaten her down like emotionally and mentally over those years and she's been pretending to be this girl that she's not um and there's just that incredible monologue she has when she's like dying her hair in that rest stop bathroom the pool girl monologue which i also read like the book version of that and it's just amazing um i'll read like the last sentence it says how do you know you're not cool girl because he says things like I like strong women. If he says that to you, he will at some point fuck someone else because I like strong women is code for I hate strong women. So it's just wild. And I really think that Gillian Flynn's um, script like reflects it well. Like when I first heard that monologue in the film, like I kind of had to rewind and I was like, whoa, like 
this hits. <laughs> How do you do you guys feel about that? That was a gut punch, first of all. Blurb you just read was fully a punch to the gut. Um, as was the monologue in the film. I like also had to rewind it and watch it a second time and truthfully would love to read it and take notes on it because I think it's such a universal thing that like women feel like they need to fit into this role that men expect them to be. And you just, I think that is a very common, not only trope, but like reality that women try to be the cool girlfriend who isn't sensitive and doesn't get emotional or jealous or, de- or defensive. Um, and then it just kind of all bubbles over. Um, or the man looks for a new, younger, cool girl and gets bored. Um, so I think that monologue is rightfully praised and deserves all of the all of the attention it's gotten. Um, like you said, Natalie, it's so poignant and it's just, I think, timeless almost because um, there's another line in the, the book version that Maddie um, sent us that's, I mean, it really stuck out to me as well. And the cool girls are even more pathetic. They're not even pretending to be the woman they want to be. They're pretending to be the woman a man wants them to be. I mean, it's obvious, like that's, the, kind of the point of like the cool girl monologue but again that part just like kind of hit me in the stomach as natalie so succinctly said but yeah it again like it just has it just hits the same not the same it hits different every time really yeah so something else that i wanted to bring up too was kind of at the beginning of the movie i don't remember the exact context but nick is kind of like getting a little frustrated with like how things are panning out like how people are treating him and how the women in his life seem to always pick him apart. And he says, I hate, I'm tired of being picked apart by women. And when he said this, I literally had to pause the movie and be like, you cannot be serious right now. Um, just because, again, obviously, Amy has, you know, been in this relationship for like over, what is it, like seven years or something? Being picked apart by him and all of her actions and this expectation for her to be this like woman that she's not. And it's just interesting to see that, I guess, kind of finally, him finally getting a taste of his own medicine. I find that hilarious that he's tired of being picked apart by women because when you think about the women that are, quote, picking him apart, it's A, the female police officer or detective who is trying to find his missing wife. So understandably, she's picking him apart. B, his 17-year-old girlfriend or however old she is, because now her boyfriend is in like the news for potentially murdering his wife, um, his wife who he's cheating on, and his sister who's wondering if she should defend her brother who may be a murderer. So like, I'm sorry these women are picking you apart, but like maybe just be competent as a human being in the first place, and then they won't be picking you apart. I think he's saying that in reference to the reporters because there's this like gossip channel um, and this woman calls him a sociopath, like brings up like pictures of him smiling next to the picture of his missing wife. And he just, he's like, oh, I'm so tired of being picked apart by women. But he puts on all these appearances for this like media circus. Like he wants so badly to hide his affair. I mean, not badly enough because she just shows up at his house one night and stays at his house, at his sister's house. Anyway, he's stupid, but he puts up all these appearances and that's what Amy has had to do her entire life. Like even before her marriage to him with the amazing Amy books and her parents' expectations for her always having to live up to that like unattainable standard. Um, So at the end of the movie, honestly, the tables are just turned and he is condemned to a life of being someone he's not, being that perfect husband like she had to do for five years. So honestly, seems right to me. Yeah, and I think that kind of contributes to my very conflicting feelings about that ending because while I... What she did, again, too many slices. It was a lot. And I obviously, killing someone is awful. She did definitely go too far. But at the same time, it's like she switched the... She reversed the roles in their relationship. Now he has to be the perfect husband and keep up appearances and constantly think about how he is failing as a husband. But at the same time, it's like, again, the length she went to do that was not good. So again, it just adds this layer of just like, yes, she got what she wanted because she reversed the roles. But at what cost is that good? Because while he does kind of deserve it, it's like the means that she, that got her to this point is not good it also just like shows how it's more normalized and expected for the wife to be 
the perfect image in the relationship and that it's shocking to the viewer and upsetting to the viewer when the then the when the husband has to watch every move he makes and every action and put on a you know perfect family image but then the wife in like real life is expected to always do that and that's just kind of like the way that we feel bad for him in the end just kind of exposes our own like unfair standards for men and women in marriages yeah and to add on to that i think a good part of the ending of the movie that really i guess encapsulates this is the part at the very end of she announces their her pregnancy sorry and he's like oh you're a cunt or something she's like this is the cunt you married this is what you wanted and i think that's really just was so impact when i when, again when i watched that i was like holy shit i think that just really encapsulated like this kind of the role reversal and solidified it because she really is leaning into that perfect cool girl that he wanted so bad she literally killed for him like she was like i killed for you who else can say that and i think that she was really like you want me to be the woman who will kill for you you want me to be the woman who is perfect and in every single way and who will always like like ride or die i guess bet and she did that and like now he's in this spot where it's like yikes i just think that part where she's like this is the cunt you married was just so heavy and i think it just is just the perfect kind of turning point in the relationship where he realizes that he in a way kind of did it to himself but also not yeah she gave him what he quote unquote wanted like be careful what you wish for bitch i love the way you said that careful what you wish for bitch i love it very true very true he should have been a bit more cognizant of his own actions i mean when are men ever cognizant of their own actions but hey Okay, I'll just say this has been an incredibly fruitful discussion and we've honestly revealed things that I hadn't even thought about before and I've watched it three times so now I just really want to watch it again. Um, love this movie. And I think it's interesting that um, David Fincher directed it, a man, and it kind of accidentally is like a feminist tale, I guess, like based on what we were just saying. I wouldn't, again, there's more nuance to it. It's, it's a very um, layered film but as Natalie was saying like on the surface you may think she's the villain she's a psycho like write her off as the crazy wife um but I think he kind of in a way made a feminist movie also um and like other examples of that are like Hitchcock um and later we're gonna talk about uh Tarantino next we're gonna talk about Hustlers which is different and uh, like a slight contrast because it was d directed by a woman, a woman. So we kind of want to explore how the treatment and portrayal of these characters um, is handled differently. Okay, so our next film is Hustlers, and it's kind of the more like recent, most recent film out of the three that we're talking about today. It was released in 2019, um, and it was written and directed by Lorraine Scafaria, and it is set during the 2008 financial crisis, and it follows a group of strippers. Um, I think our protagonist, I guess we can safely say, <laughs> our protagonist is um, Dorothy or Destiny. And she's kind of like new to like this strip club and she kind of finds friends in Ramona and Mercedes and all the other strippers at this strip club. And it kind of follows them as they are just like doing their job, like the things that they get into. And But they kind of find themselves in all these situations. Um, it kind of follows this, them through these this kind of operation that they undergo to that ends up with like drugging men and stealing their money and it and the reason why we picked this movie was just because it depicts this idea of female frustration and revenge and rage in a different way that's really really nuanced like there's obviously the stuff they do is not a good thing to do at all um but there is like the different sides that they depict of the issue and all of the operation and, and the operation that they end up doing. I feel like it was also more controversial than the other two films, at least in my personal experience of discussing all three of these films with people. I think it's not necessarily just a coincidence that it was written and directed by a woman um, and it is the most controversial movie about female revenge or just female rage. And um, the fact that even though the actual crimes that these women are doing in this movie are way less severe than the murder that goes on in Kill Bill and Gone Girl. The actions in Hustlers are like much more condemned and men feel, many men feel very uncomfortable by it because it's a little bit too close to home. It hits a little, it's like women seducing them to steal their money is a little bit too realistic. 
whereas killing is more surrealist. So I think, I, I mean, I know that a lot of men in my life saw Hustlers and felt uncomfortable and hated that these women were being portrayed as sympathetic characters for quite literally drugging men and stealing their money. But like Issa said, it's much more nuanced than that. And I do root for these women and they're highly sympathetic characters. They are our protagonists and we're with Dorothy the whole time. We're with Ramona. We're following their friendship. It's a beautiful friendship that it blossoms into. And obviously it's a known fact. It's apparent as you're watching that what they're doing is illegal and what they're doing is not ethical. But they are also doing it for survival. There's like another piece to it because Dorothy's supporting her grandmother. Ramona has a child. Dorothy later has a daughter as well. There's a lot of, there's a huge theme of motherhood. And um, actually Ramona says a few times throughout the film, motherhood is a mental illness. Like what you'll do for your kids. Um, you just, you would never expect until you have kids. I love the film. I think it deserved so much, like, just better reviews and better um, like awards recognition and all of that, but I won't get started on that. As you said, Natalie, I completely agree. It's a little bit too realistic for people, I think, because these murders um, in the other movies, you can suspend disbelief and just like kind of watch a movie and it's like not real and you know it. But this, like, it did actually happen. Like, it's based on a true story. I think also we should go like deeper into um, the theme of maternity just because we see it in all three of these films like maternity and just motherhood is often the reason women feel they need revenge or are angry. There is truth to it. I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't have children, but obviously I hear that you do go crazy for your kids and you will will quite literally kill for your children. It's like a biological um connection that nothing else can really top so I think there's that's a reason it's in all of these movies but also I think in a way it can simplify female emotions because like it's saying the only thing that can cause these feelings of rage in women have to be related to their biological purpose which is like childbirth so I do think the fact that all three of these you know Gone Girl and the fake pregnancy and then the real pregnancy um, and hustlers in the fact that these women are drugging men and stealing money for their children. And ultimately, um, Dorothy takes the plea deal um, at the end for her daughter. And then in Kill Bill, we'll get into it. But Uma Thurman's whole revenge is for her lost baby. All of these women, like, ultimately, their decisions are drawn back to like, oh, well, it's because they lost their child or it's for their child. So I think it kind of simplifies female emotion in that regard, too, because we see so many men getting revenge for things other than their children in media. I agree with that. That's a really interesting point that it's it can be simplified in that way because I feel like particularly men and then just like societally we can get trapped in this way of thinking, think that like women are strong because they can give birth and like that's the only reason. But there is a lot more to it than that, obviously. And I do think that Hustlers goes into it more like, yes, they do need it for survival, but they also... Um, like, there's that monologue that Ramona has about, um, like, they've stolen from us. Like, it's almost treated as, like, structural reparations because they're talking about, like, these Wall Street guys who spend their days with, like, doing illegal activities. So she's like, we're, like, not actually harming anyone. Like, what's what's the difference? Because they steal from people. It's just more um, accepted, I guess. Um, kind of going back to what you were saying, Natalie, like I wanted to, again, bring us back to Gone Girl because we we love Gone Girl. Um, but it's just interesting to see how Amy's pregnancy is kind of weaponized throughout the story. Um, at the beginning, like kind of when she first, when she initially went missing and like there's that vigil, I think, in the, um, in the neighborhood. Um, the fact that she was pregnant became this huge thing when she like, and it became a, more of a reason to antagonize Nick. Um, and then at the end as well, it kind of comes back and she announces her pregnancy to Nick and it becomes a nail in the coffin. It was last nail in the coffin. And it kind of like solidified again, like his, his um, role in their marriage moving forward. It's just like, yeah, it's interesting to draw that comparison between how Hustlers and Kill Bill kind of use have motherhood as this defining reason why they're mad and like in Gone Girl it's kind of like this little dangling thing where it's like she can use this she understands that like 
her being pregnant is like a a big thing like she can use that to advantage if that makes sense another main thing about the female rage in this movie is just the double standards of female rage versus male rage I think in most like action revenge films, male rage has to do with like revenge revolving around proving your masculinity and your strength or status above others, some manly reason. Whereas these women's rage um, comes from a place of providing for their children um, and responding to negative actions that were done by men. And I think these double standards are especially emphasized because our protagonists are sex workers, which will make the audience feel even more uncomfortable in viewing their actions that are backed by motherhood because often sex workers are not seen as nurturing or respected as much as a more nurturing traditionally motherly figure would be in, um, in film and in media in general. Absolutely. I think women are looked to as you can either be a sexual figure sexually liberated or you can be like domesticated a mother a nurturer a caretaker and this movie challenges that because you can be both both things are possible so people are definitely uncomfortable with that the fact that they are both and they encapsulate both and they do both well it really like challenges people's perception last but not least we are looking at kill bill which is written and directed by quentin tarantino it is a 2003 um, American martial arts movie that follows Uma Thurman's character, who we're introduced to as the bride or Black Mamba, as she seeks revenge against Bill, um, who is the leader of this female girl group of assassins um, that Uma Thurman was a part of. So it starts in the United States and takes her to Tokyo as she tries to pick off each of these women one by one um, for causing the death of her unborn child and trying to kill her. Now, it was a big decision for us to agree to watch this movie since we do not like Quentin and we have some facts as to why we don't like Quentin, but this movie is often praised as being an empowering feminist film and Basically, everyone has seen it, and we can't really talk about female revenge without talking about Kill Bill. It's just incredibly relevant, um, and I think it's very nuanced in how there's nothing inherently sexist about the film, but what went on behind the scenes inevitably does take away from some of the empowerment that you get from watching it. For me, this was an interesting watch. Um, as Natalie said, not a Tarantino fan, even... I'll be honest, like, even of his work, like, I recognize that it's, like, he's a great filmmaker and it's, like, quality content, but I'm not, like, a fan of violence, and I just think it's very gratuitous and, like, self-indulgent, so watching it, I, I was entertained, like, I was invested in her character, um, and the writing was very good, but I also, like, it loses me at a point when it's just, like, blood spurt after blood spurt for two hours straight. I think we also went into it expecting to hate it. Like at least speaking for me personally, like I was even just looking at the front cover of the movie and Uma Thurman standing there in like a tight fitting jumpsuit or whatever she's wearing. And I just kind of assumed Tarantino was gonna sexualize her the whole time or um, portray these female assassins to be like silly or bad fighters or like, I don't know, weak. But none of that was the case, I will say. Like, nothing inherently in the film was sexualizing the women other than a few foot shots. Um, but otherwise, like, even though I went in really looking for things to roast from a feminist perspective, I didn't find them. But at the same time, like, you can't talk about Kill Bill without talking about um, how traumatic it was for Uma Thurman to film Kill Bill under Quentin Tarantino and Harvey Weinstein. I mean, yeah, like I would agree wholeheartedly with Maddie, like exactly how I felt about <laughs> watching this movie. Um, yeah, and I, the first time I watched it was like a really long time ago. I was like in high school and I didn't know about the weird things about Tarantino just yet. But yeah, I would agree with both of you guys. I feel like the movie surprised me in ways that I didn't expect and also was a bit much at times where I was like, okay, maybe, and again, maybe a bit too many slices. 
And just for those who aren't aware of the Uma Thurman interview where she details her experiences with Tarantino and Harvey Weinstein, um, just a ton of extremely illegal and upsetting things, including Weinstein's harassment and assault of Thurman, as well as Tarantino putting her in an extremely dangerous stunt that left her with, that resulted in a car crash that left Uma Thurman with like lifelong injuries and a concussion. Um, and Tarantino also like seriously choked her with a chain and spit in her face for the purposes of realism. And after filming this movie, Uma Thurman never worked with him again. So <laughs> there's just something very sinister about like this perceived feminist film um, about female revenge and rage, like being created by Harvey Weinstein and Quentin Tarantino. It just kind of, it does for me take away from, from the empowerment of Uma Thurman's role, which isn't fair to her because I know she helped co-write the movie and she brought a lot to the role that Tarantino can't take credit for. But there is just something disgusting about like, sure, Tarantino and Harvey Weinstein can acknowledge that having sex with an unconscious woman in a coma is wrong. But then literally as they're filming these scenes and filming this movie, they're doing harassment and assaulting things that are still not okay, even though she's not unconscious. No, for real, it's, yeah, your points are extremely valid and true. And yeah, I feel like it's just so often like abusers in the industry and like apart from it, like, like you said, like it's looked at as bad to like that the nurse had that operation where men would come in and pay to have sex with her unconscious body and then she kills them and you're cheering it's great they recognize that they're like oh yeah we we know this is bad we're woke and yet they're abusing her behind the scenes like it just doesn't add up and it's really upsetting um and it's also notable that she never worked with him again and i'm glad that she never worked with him again um because they have a history like she was in pulp fiction and everything also just the way that specifically that scene you mentioned about the male nurse um using Uma Thurman's body when she was in the coma to um, sell her body for other men to have sex with her, um, well, to rape her. It's used as a plot device. And then we don't really explore how that affects Uma Thurman's character of the bride in the long term. Um, we get like one shot of her when she wakes up from her coma, like sobbing over realizing she lost her baby. But other than that moment, we don't really see any emotional side to her character. It's all fury. I think there's something a little icky about using sexual assault to propel the plot, but then not actually, I don't know, lead to character complexity or character development. And this also took away from the movie for me because I wasn't connected to the bride or sympathetic for her when we didn't explore her emotional trauma at all. It was all just rage and death and blood. But yeah, like kind of agreeing with you and kind of jumping off of that, I think it is pretty ironic that, you know, we have this sexual assault used as a plot device. You don't get to like really explore her character and the ways that has affected her. It's kind of very like surface to me. It kind of feels like it's obvious. Yeah, these things like, you know, raping someone while they're in a coma is awful. You shouldn't do that, obviously. But then... This, the nuance to it is lost because these men who are making these movies don't understand or like don't care to understand the nuance behind all of this like all of these things that they're making their characters go through like that again like I agree like I feel like when I watched it like I was lost on that part of her character I didn't feel that connection with her and I was kind of saddened to see that we didn't really get to explore that yeah her trauma is not examined at all by the film um Meanwhile, she's being traumatized, and I guess it's just all internalized. Like you said, it just all comes out as rage, but that's not realistic. And we also don't get a lot of character development. Like, I I guess was on her side just because we were following her the whole time, but other than that, I don't really know her backstory at all. Um, I did feel bad for the people she was killing, too. Um, specifically that first scene where the daughter watches her mother get murdered. Um, I felt horrible <laughs> about that. And... All of what we've said so far is just pertaining to volume one of Kill Bill, um, in which Uma Thurman is generally focusing on trying to kill Vernita Green um, and Lucy Liu's character, Oren. And it's upsetting how 
these women are killing each other and fighting each other for the crimes of the man who's actually just groomed them to be his little group of assassins. He, we don't even see him in volume one and yet he's the villain. And we actually sympathize with the people who are killed for his crimes. Like we sympathize with Vernita Green because her young daughter comes home from school and they even have this little moment of bonding and sisterhood when she offers her coffee. And then even with like a couple moments with Oren, there are moments of respect where Oren apologizes and um, Black Mamba accepts her apology. And there's something like badass about these women being so bloodthirsty, but ultimately I find it upsetting. It's like, I wish they could just skip the steps of killing each other and just kill Bill. Period. (laughs) Along that same vein, I also just found it to like, and not that every movie has to be, but it's just like not really relatable. Like I'm not on like a quest to avenge like my unborn child and kill everyone in my path. Like it's just very like out there and like fantastical, I guess. Also just bringing back how maternity is like the driving factor for the women in all three of the films we've been talking about. Like, we don't at all hear Uma Thurman talk about her dead partner, her murdered partner, if that's who he is, or any of the other people, like the Reverend and the Reverend's wife that were killed, and even her own life for almost being taken. And her all of her rage is surrounded by her unborn child and um, Vernita Green. Her whole thing was about protecting her daughter and how she says she's changed now that she's a mother. And like also a big part of Oren's backstory was how she was like an orphan. She didn't have um, that traditional family structure. So it kind of also goes back to all of this female rage is kind of simplified to motherhood. In a film about female rage written and directed by a man, the only justification they can think of has to do with motherhood because they view women as their biological purpose is to give birth. But I don't know if now I'm just like nitpicking because like, the other two movies which had females involved in their creation also center their characters' rage around motherhood and childbirth. So maybe I'm just being a little too hard on Tarantino on that judgment, but um, I don't know. It's a bit of an eye roll sometimes in this movie for them just to be like, my daughter, but then like we don't actually see any of her emotional development or her pain. It's just kind of like we're told that because she lost her kid, she wants to kill everyone. And you kind of forget, like you kind of don't remember why she's killing everyone because 90% of the movie is like blood spurting and people dying in like really gory ways that just make you cringe for the entertainment factor. And then the other 10% is like telling you what's going on. So like the violence in my opinion overshadows the motivation. And like we kind of already criticized Kill Bill for like, we didn't sympathize enough with Uma Thurman's character, so therefore we didn't care about her succeeding that much in volume one. Despite her losing her child being the driving factor for the entire film, both parts, it's like you low-key forget about it by the end of part one. She's just murdering people. I think something that contributes also to the lack of character development we get um, from Uma Thurman's character is all of the homage that Tarantino is um, paying to different genres, um, notably like anime and um, like samurai movies. There are different sequences paying homage to all these genres and it kind of eclipses um, like what could be time developing her character, I guess. It was something I did um, appreciate about the film though, like specifically the part where the lights were flipped um, in like the sword fighting scene. Um, And it's like their silhouettes against the blue screen thought that was really visually cool. (laughs) So I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, I think it's honestly just depends on what you're going into the movie looking for. Like, are you just looking to be entertained by blood and fighting? Um, And that's why like the criticism I really like about Tarantino is like, he's a genius filmmaker and very talented and, you know, creative, but what does he really have to say? And I think that's where he loses me like individually as a viewer is just that I, I needed more emotional um, backstory and development that I just didn't get, but that's not inherently bad. He just chose the stylistic elements over developing the characters. Um, 
which is more of just a, an opinion and a preference thing for me. Okay, I think to round out this kind of section of the episode, we can't have, I'm, this is gonna sound crazy, I'm gonna sound so insane for saying this, but we can't have a Quentin Tarantino film without some feet shots. So they, there were three big moments in this film that had, you know, the quintessential, quint, get it, quintessential Tarantino feet shot. Um, and, you know, it's kind of switch gears a little bit. We're going to, we're going to rate them out of necessity, I guess, to the, to the plot of the movie. Um, and to be, to be frank, I'm very much, you do not need them. So I'm just going to be like, none of them needed to be there, but I'm interested to hear what you guys' opinions on these are. I'll try to be fair, you know, like, I also don't think feet shots are ever necessary, but I'll try to be fair. Um, and the one I can give the most lenience to is the first one where um, Black Mamba is looking down at her feet and she is willing herself to wiggle her toes because she's just got out of a coma and she like can't move. Um, so I, I wish I timed how long this little scene was. It was probably far too long. Um, and we get various shots of her feet um, and zoom, zoom ins on her toes as she's trying to wiggle her toes. So yes, this does drive the plot forward. Um, Uma Thurman needs to walk and stand so she can karate chop some female assassins. So yes, it is necessary, but we didn't need all of those various shots. It didn't need to be a 30 minute scene and we didn't need the pans and the zooms and the fades. <laughs> Also the bottoms, like that was a part of it at first. And it just lingered for way too long. Like, yes, I guess that that is a part of the plot. She needs to move her feet because she was just in a coma for four years. But it just lingered just so long. And it was just so unnecessary. <laughs> and it could have been like on her face, like as she's like struggling to do it. It didn't need to be just on her toe. Like there's nothing there for me to connect with. It's just, it's toes. <laughs> Yeah, I think that you could have positioned it differently because, like, you could do it from, like, her perspective, like, watching her own feet, like, or something. Like, it could have been something completely different, yet we got a 30-minute PowerPoint presentation on her feet. So we can agree that this was the most necessary, but it was just too many slices yet again. It's enough slices! Our current theme, too many slices. It's enough slices! Is the next one in succession the toes on the gas pedal of the car yes okay yes. Yeah. i think i'm going to say this one was the least necessary because they are in a speeding car like going down the street little like a chase scene we all know that her foot is on the pedal the car is moving forward um we didn't need the shot of the toes going down on the gas pedal and what i just really wonder too is like how long did it take to get that shot like to set up the camera to like light it to get the, the actors in place like was it an hour to get this um half second shot like how much money did they pay the crew to be there to get this shot like i'm just really curious and i would like if anyone listening to this was on set for that day please reach out um we would love to know to me this was the least necessary um curious on your thoughts i'm just fully being sent into orbit at the visual image of quentin tarantino being like you know, maybe they won't know that the car is moving, like, the car is moving, so we need to have a foot, we need to have her, like, justifying the foot shot, like, I just, I can't, it's really sending me, like, thank you for that visual image, Natalie. It's enough slices! And last but not least, we have the girl band in the Tokyo Club, um, where Oren and her little dudes are hanging out. Um, and we have this girl band playing on, on the stage, which we love. However, not a single one is wearing shoes of any kind. And we see many shots of them dancing around stage, not wearing shoes. So I'm just also wondering, like, maybe the wardrobe on, on set originally put shoes on these women, but then Quentin showed up to set and made them remove their shoes. Like, I'm just wondering also, like, who decided they weren't going to wear shoes in their performance? Was that like a pre-production decision or like an on-set like, decision? You know what I'm saying? And then there's a close-up as she dances around of her bare feet dancing around. Why? I think, again, Quentin Jr. was like, they're not going to know she's dancing around. We got to show her feet. You know, it... Mm -hmm. 
in his head, maybe he justified the shot that way. Who knows what goes on Even in the Even though life. we could see their full body from afar from the, the long shot dancing, it's just, it's just not clear enough. You need to know, like, the anatomy of what yeah, is, like, it's not... charging that, that movement and where it's originating from, you know? Exactly. Like, people, That's... people are unaware, I guess. I think we're being very forgiving, you know? Like, people may say we're hard on Tarantino, but honestly, like, we've been very fair. We're wondering, like... We're trying to empathize with his thought process here. So, you know, um, overall not necessary, but we're willing to listen, Quentin. Okay, now that we're done with our very needed Tarantino Rose session, I think I would love to know what your guys' takeaways out of all this was after watching these three films. I think I feel pretty conflicted, to be honest. Like, I feel... Like, I, I enjoy seeing um, strong female protagonists um, getting revenge, and I like that they make a lot of um, male viewers feel uncomfortable. Like, I think it's, a, it's progressive in that way. Um, but then there's also the side of me that's, like, so tired of women being portrayed as dramatic and, and psychotic and crazy. Um, so then the other side of me is like, damn it, I don't want people to think women are insane either. So I think I'm just very conflicted. Like I, I really, really like Gone Girl and Hustlers. Um, I have some amount of respect for Kill Bill, but did not enjoy watching it. Um, so that's my overall opinions on the movies. But in terms of female rage, I think it's just a very nuanced topic that we will continue to see in film forever. To me, I feel like that's on them if like a viewer then looks at women as psychotic and crazy because in all three of these films there is so much more to it than that so it's really on them at that point it's not like i don't know i don't want to say it's not the filmmaker's responsibility to like cater to the audience because it kind of is in a way but like there's more to it than that and their the actions that they do and the emotions behind it are valid so it's like on the viewer if they think they're psychotic and crazy after seeing these. And yeah, whether they're portrayed that way, I don't know. There's a lot to it, but I'm still honestly hung up on like this revelation about Gone Girl. Like, thank you both for this fruitful discussion because truly a great film I've been obsessed with, as you know. Um, so I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yeah, and kind of going off of that, I think at least with like Hustlers and Gone Girl who have like had have women on the creative side and kind of like working out the story in that way um we see a lot more of that nuance that Kill Bill kind of was like lacking um and like you said like I think it is like they these people did put the nuance at the forefront forefront is that the right word yes forefront um and kind of made it obvious that nuance obviously like you can draw your own conclusions about Gone Girl, like whether you think that Mimi was justified in what she did and whatever. Like we, we talked at length about that, but I think that nuance is something that people will have to get used to. I think when it comes with female rage um, and kind of this revenge kind of thing that we've been talking about, it's just like, again, there is that all that nuance. It's not as black and white as previous films have depicted. Um, and I think moving forward in kind of like the industry as a whole, I guess, um, that nuance will become more and more like, I guess, apparent to everybody. All right. So that wraps up our episode on female rage and how it's characterized in these three movies. But now we're going to move on to take five. And you guys know the drill. Um, we're going to recommend five pieces of media that kind of relate to today's topic. Um, up first, we have... A pretty iconic one in my humble opinion it's the specifically the soundtrack for jennifer's body jennifer's body is a wonderful film um a comedy horror film starring the one and only megan fox and i specifically we specifically are highlighting the soundtrack just because it is so iconic it has Haley williams panic at the disco florence and machine if you were on tumblr during the early 2010s you understand the impact that this has had on a whole generation. So if you haven't listened to this already, definitely give it a listen. Most of it is on Spotify or you can go the traditional route and look it up on YouTube. Um, and I definitely recommend New Perspective. It is, in my opinion, again, the best song ever made. So take that what you will. Next up, we have the New York Magazine article that sparked the movie of Hustlers. Um, it is written by Jessica Pressler and it was released in 2015. 
and it essentially just chronicles the true story of the um, strippers who drugged men and stole money from them that inspired um, hustlers. Next we have Killing Eve, which is one of my favorite shows and it depicts female rage and psychopathy pretty strongly. Um, it's a very just incredible show, um, that season two finale, like don't even get me started. Stars Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer. Yes, we highly recommend it's on Hulu uh, from BBC. And next we have a couple music artists that just embody female rage with their work. We love them so much. Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo. Issa, do you want to say anything about these two incredible women? I do have quite a lot to say. I think that Taylor Swift was really, you know, she writes from a very honest perspective and she wrote about her anger. Oh yeah. Might you do that? Oh yeah. When Joe Jonas broke up with her over a voicemail. Um, very succinctly in Speak Now and some of Fearless. Um, so definitely if you haven't listened to her iconic works of female rage, definitely listen to that. Um, they are a bit of the times when they were written, just as a disclaimer. Uh, but also her 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 daughter, as I will put her, um, you know, we all know Olivia Rodrigo is iconic and has also done a lot to depict female rage in a way that is very honest, but also not sexist. Um, so if you haven't listened to their music, give it a listen because they have done a lot of justice for female rage and depicting it honestly. And last but not least, we can't talk about these movies without talking about the obvious thread between them, and that is Benifer, aka J-Lo, <laughs> who starred in Hustlers, and Ben Affleck, who starred in um, Gone Girl, who are now, again, together. And if you want to keep up with all the happenings, because there's a lot happening, we definitely recommend the account Dumois, who is, for me, my most trustworthy celebrity news source. I love you, Dumois, if you're listening somehow. Um, and I get all the tea on them from their accounts. So if, if you just want to be updated on their whereabouts, what, what's going on with their relationship, Dumois got you. Um, this is not sponsored by them, but I just love them because I just, I, I knew nothing about Benifer before they got together, but now it seems like I know everything. So definitely recommend them if you're, if you want some tea in your everyday life. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Reeling. And if you have any questions, concerns, or you want to debate us on anything, definitely DM our Instagram at oddpodsout, and we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jillian, the producer of Reeling, and I just wanted to say that the show wouldn't be possible without our graphic designer, Isa, our music designer, Maddie, our social media manager, Madison, and listeners like you. If you have any suggestions for topics to be covered in future episodes, or any comments, questions, or concerns, please email podcast.grainofsaltmag at gmail.com. And for more fun, head to at oddpodsout on Instagram. Thanks again.